Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Margot Niker. At Israel Policy Forum, we are committed to providing you with forthright appraisals of the issues shaping Israeli security and policy. Today, we have a special program for you, a recording of our briefing on the Trump peace plan. What does the plan mean for Israel's security and Jewish and democratic character, and how will this new American policy impact the future viability of a two-state solution? To impact these issues and other pressing questions, the briefing was joined by Israel Policy Forum's Policy Advisor Shira Efron, Policy Director Michael Koplow, and Israel Fellow Nimrod Novik. The recording was moderated by our Executive Director David A. Halperin. Thank you to everyone who's joining us uh, this afternoon to do, uh, to unpack uh, yesterday's uh, long-awaited announcement of, of the Trump plan. Uh, we have with us, as Susie mentioned, our Policy Director Michael Koplow in Washington, Nimrod Novik and Shira Efron, our advisors based in Israel. And I'd like to unpack uh, today's conversation to really address uh, the implications uh, from this plan in terms of the the discourse in Washington, in Israel, and and in the region. But first, let me turn to Michael Koplow. Susie just mentioned there are some positive aspects and negative aspects of this deal. Can you um, start us off by giving your quick assessment on, is there anything here to build on? Um, Is there anything here uh, that will actually uh, uh, have an an impact uh, on on Israeli-Palestinian relations? Thanks, David. So I think that there is um, a, a potential silver lining here, which is that you know, we, will, we will get into the, into the details later, um, but the Trump administration with this plan has conceded after three and a half years of refusing to endorse a, a two-state vision, has conceded that some sort of two-state outcome is, in their view, the only viable solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Now, the way they have looked at two-state outcome uh, is is problematic uh, to say the least, but they have endorsed a two-state outcome, and I think that um, that really has to be noted by folks on the right um, who have have long derided two states as as uh, non-viable and have talked about uh, Israeli full annexation of the entirety of the West Bank. And I think it should be noted by folks on the left who uh, have also talked about a, a single binational democratic state. Um, even the Trump administration, which took a long time to come around uh, to this position, has, has arrived at this position. And uh, it's also notable that, um, again, despite the uh, limitations of this plan, that Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday stood next to President Trump. Um, and uh, while he himself did not utter the, the two-state phrase. Um, he also effectively went back to the 2009 Bar Ilan version of himself, where he is talking about some sort of um, Palestinian entity that, that will be a, a state. Now, um, again, we will, I'm, I'm sure, spend uh, the bulk of this call talking about the reasons that this particular plan uh, is in many ways unworkable. But if the plan is taken simply as um, uh, a conceptual framework document, and everybody can concede that we have to get to some sort of separation between Israelis and Palestinians and some sort of two-state outcome, then this plan can be used as the basis for a negotiation. Uh, I don't know if that's how it will actually play out, um, but I, I think that uh, there is a path where this can, be, um, this, this can potentially be a helpful contribution. So, Michael, could you just give us a summary of some of the more complex, you know, where, where this where this plan then falls short, and then let's uh, and then let's talk a bit about how it's it, the reactions um, have played out in, in Israel. We we'll move to Nimrod, but Michael, uh, you you said that you know uh, um, if it's if it's not the basis, then it'll fall short because of various unworkable elements, some of which we identified in our own statement. But could you give a sense of what exactly you mean? Sure. So for starters, there's the, there's the big process issue, which is that by all indications, the Israeli government wants to take the conceptual map that the Trump administration laid out that gives Israel control of 
at least 30% of the West Bank and allows Israel to retain sovereignty over, uh, or I should say extend sovereignty to every single settlement, um, which is the exact same thing as annexing the territory that those settlements sit upon. Um, the Israeli government seems to want to take that map and implement it right now um, as a unilateral annexation maneuver and say, okay, well, you know, this is what the map is supposed to look like at the end, so we may as well implement it now. So, you know, that's the immediate problem. That's problem number one. That's what everybody should be focusing on today. Assuming that we somehow get past that and, and that that uh, can be avoided. Um, the plan itself is deeply flawed in a number of ways. First of all, um, for any Palestinian state to be viable, irrespective of what percentage of the West Bank we're talking about, it has to be territorially contiguous in, in, uh, in a way that's manageable. Um, if you look at the conceptual map that the Trump administration put in to this document, um, there is no real territorial, territorial contiguity. Um, there are Israeli enclaves that are sprinkled throughout. I would recommend uh, that people um, go uh, to the Center for Middle East Peace and, and look at the map that uh, our friend Don Rotem put together, which is actually a, a zoomed in more accurate rendering of what the map would look like uh, under the Trump administration's vision. Um, and you can see pretty clearly that um, this is not a, a contiguous, contiguous map at all. And um, having, you know, tens of different um, security corridors and bypass roads, uh, all sorts of things that are going to be linking these Israeli enclaves to uh, the rest of Israel uh, is going to carve up the West Bank in a way um, that really makes it very difficult for Palestinians to function in, in a reasonable manner. That's number one. Number two, um, on the issue of Jerusalem. The, the plan talks about a Palestinian capital in, in what it calls Eastern Jerusalem. Um, now, it's important to note that what Israel annexed to Jerusalem after 1967 uh, was an area that's about 70, 70 square kilometers. Um, what Jordanian Jerusalem consisted of uh, was an area in East Jerusalem of about uh, six square kilometers. Now, um, that giant area that is now part of the Jerusalem municipality was historically not considered by anybody to be part of Jerusalem. The neighborhoods that the Trump plan envisions as a Palestinian capital in what it calls Eastern Jerusalem are uh, neighborhoods that are beyond the security barrier, particularly Kufar Aqab and the Shu'afat refugee camp. Um, now, Israel may call that part of the Jerusalem municipality, that the fact that Israel itself put those neighborhoods behind the security barrier and the fact that uh, the current Israeli minister for Jerusalem affairs, Ev Elkin, has a plan to actually take those neighborhoods and make them a different municipality should be a good indication to everybody that um, even the Israelis don't really consider that to be part of Jerusalem and certainly the Palestinians do not. And um, to take Palestinian neighborhoods that are entirely Palestinian, uh, neighborhoods like Isawiya, um, or Bechanina that are currently part of East Jerusalem and say those are going to be part of Israeli Jerusalem and not part of Palestinian Jerusalem um, is really uh, saying to the Palestinians, you actually aren't going to have a, a presence in what everybody considers Jerusalem. You know, you can, you can call these neighborhoods Jerusalem if you want. And the plan actually literally says that. It says, take the neighborhoods of uh, Shuafat refugee camp, Kufar Aqab, and Abu Dis and call them Al-Quds if you want. Um, that's not really giving the Palestinians a capital in, in Jerusalem. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll mention one more, which is security. And you know, we can literally go through all of these things line by line. If we had, you know, we have one hour, if we had 11 hours, I, I'm not sure we'd ever get through all of it. Um, but just to take one more issue, which is security. Everybody has always assumed, and I think rightly, that when you look at whatever a final deal um, will look like, security will be heavily weighted toward the Israelis. And uh, certainly we organizationally have, have taken that position uh, time and time again. Um, so I think it's appropriate for security measures to be weighted in Israel's favor. What this plan does is take that concept and turn it into something where Israel not only has a final say on security issues, um, but really gets to impose what they will be 
without even any Palestinian buy-in or, um, or way to object, um, without, forget about having a, a, Palestinian, a Palestinian veto over things, which, which I think, um, you know, in a lot of the plans that we, that we ourselves have talked about, there is no Palestinian veto. This doesn't even give the Palestinians even kind of a, a, a first cut say. Um, so, you know, it, it essentially allows Israel to, um, you know, on its own, go into the West Bank at any time without even having some sort of dispute resolution mechanism with the Palestinians. It allows Israel unfettered access to uh, multiple, uh, multiple warning systems inside of a state of Palestine, it allows Israel to, on its own, fly any type of uh, drones, blimps, UAVs that it wants inside a state of Palestine. You know, again, these are all things that can be negotiated if there's a serious dispute between Israelis and Palestinians over security. But to say that Israel should be able to do any of these things sort of as a, as a unilateral first cut without even having to work out some sort of arrangement um, strikes me as um, not only over the top, um, but, uh, not only is over the top, um, but is also something that is designed to um, sink any ability for the Palestinians to say yes to security measures that will, that, that will be onerous anyway. Um, so, you know, I, I picked out those three and, and highlighted them. I'm sure Nimrod and Shir will have other, you know, other things to, uh, to pick apart as well. Um, but those are three that jump out at me um, pretty, pretty clearly up front. So I, I agree. We could spend a lot of time picking apart the specific elements of this plan that, that are problematic, uh, not to mention the transfer of the Israeli Arab uh, towns in the Galilee to Palestinian control, which is a highly controversial and, and wild uh, a proposal to come from the United States in this, uh, in this plan, and not to mention the Israeli settlements. Not only uh, are, are Israeli settlements um, uh, enabled to be annexed in this proposal, but the far-flung settlements that are, part of, that are within the Palestinian territory uh, are also slated to remain. Those settlements often are the ones that are um, populated by some of the most radical opponents of any realm of, uh, of any type of, of Palestinian statehood. But I want to kind of go to the next, next phase, which is how are folks reacting to this and does this really have staying power? Uh, as I turn to Nimrod, I'd like you to give us a sense uh, initially of, of, of some of those, um, uh, uh, of some of the, the reaction that we've, we've been seeing in Israel. And I also want to note to the audience, you can ask a question by uh, uh, typing a question in the Q&A icon at the bottom of the screen, or you can also send an email to info at ipforum.org. I already see some folks are, are passing through questions. Nimrod, what's the initial reaction we've been seeing in Israel? Are we seeing, um, uh, what are the next steps? Um, I think the interesting uh, reaction was primarily from the uh, security establishment. Um, both in uniform and uh, retirees. Uh, we've seen two waves, uh, really, of reactions. Uh, wave one was until a few hours ago, uh, and then came wave two. Wave one uh, focused on, on almost, almost exclusively on one thing, and that was something that is not written in the plan, but uh, was, uh, was explained uh, uh, in the speeches uh, and later on, uh, which is that the talk about annexing portions of the West Bank um, is not for necessarily for, for a future date, uh, but basically that the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, presenting, the presentation of the plan green lights immediate annexation. Indeed, the initial reaction of the prime minister was that he's bringing it up uh, uh, for the cabinet vote uh, on Sunday. Uh, with that, uh, many in the uh, security establishment went on the air, primarily retirees, uh, but I will refer to those in uniform who are prohibited from doing so, but found a way uh, to express their position. Uh, and they focused on that one, primarily on the risks involved, uh, no matter what is, no matter what happens to the plans, no matter if it evaporates uh, the day after the election or in four years or whatever. Uh, if it does result in a swift annexation in the West Bank, uh, this spells disaster for Israel. Uh, and they explain everything that uh, 
uh, we've been explaining uh, Israel Policy Forum, Commanders for Israel Security, and others have been explaining for, for months now uh, uh, how uh, the fragility of the PA itself, how the unpopularity of security coordination between the Palestinian security agencies in Israel, which initially was uh, uh, viewed uh, as the symbol of Palestinian uh, aspirations for statehood, uh, but as lo the more statehood uh, looks uh, remote, if, if at all, um, the, the more they look like uh, collaborators of, or serving the Israeli uh, occupation. Um, the concern that either security will collapse uh, coordination or the PA itself, uh, resulting in a security vacuum in areas A and B, the Palestinian states and villages, uh, allowing Hamas to take advantage of the vacuum, uh, and forcing Israel either to chase Hamas out or to preempt that by taking over. Uh, all that uh, was discussed extensively uh, in phase one, in wave one uh, of the reaction uh, uh, by, by Israeli security officials. Um, I would like to say a word about those in uniform who are prohibited from expressing themselves on the issue. Uh, they found a way uh, in, the, in the days immediately leading up uh, to the unveiling of the plan uh, to come up uh, in different ways. Uh, the head of uh, military intelligence, uh, the this military intelligence itself in its annual assessment, and the head, head of the Shin Bet uh, in different fora uh, found, opp found opportunity uh, to call attention to the fact that this Israel is addressing challenges to the north, uh, Iran in Syria, Hezbollah in Lebanon, to the south with Hamas, uh, any change of the status quo, any unilateral act on the West Bank may create a third front at a time that Israel is trying to prevent two from erupting. So the defense establishment almost unanimously uh, was concerned uh, with the fallout from the plan in terms of annexation. Then came, a few hours ago, an administration, senior administration official in the name of David Friedman, uh, who explained uh, no swift annexation is going to take place. Uh, nothing is going to happen before Israel says yes to the plan within the six months, uh, six weeks allotted for it. Uh, and then uh, thereafter, we'll have a committee, Israeli-American committee, discussing the issue of annexation. With that, reaction changed to the substance and details of the plan. And here, too, security took uh, front and center. Primarily, uh, a couple of issues uh, were aired by uh, uh, CIS members, other generals, uh, retirees, uh, focusing on, on the following two or three points. One, uh, the fact uh, that uh, Michael mentioned that 15 Israeli enclaves are going to, be stay, are going to remain within the territory allotted for the, for the state of Palestine uh, is going to be a security nightmare. Uh, they, are, they have no territorial contiguity to Israel. They'll be linked to Israel by a road difficult to defend. Uh, and thousands of Israelis are going to remain within the state of Palestine. This is so about something quite sub more substantial than a remote settlement, and that is Beit El. The second thing, they pointed out that for long-term security, the two parties to the deal must be equally satisfied and equally disappointed uh, in what's in it. And to create a state of Palestine totally surrounded by Israeli sovereignty, with no independent access to the, international, to the outside world, uh, is reminiscent of the situation in Gaza. Uh, they anticipate that generations of Palestinians will not accept that as a fait accompli, and uh, they uh, argued that uh, uh, with that, uh, with the mini-state deprived of many of the um, attributes of uh, sovereignty and statehood, uh, irredenta uh, will, will drive uh, uh, future attempts to change the status quo uh, and to change this verdict via violence. So Finally, they pointed out that traditionally, 
uh, when Israeli defense establishment was mapping ideas uh, for the uh, uh, politicians to negotiate with, they always uh, try to balance Israeli security needs, which is, as Michael mentioned, take precedent with Palestinian sovereignty and dignity. And they believe that they, this plan does not do that. And therefore, if implemented, which very few assume it will, uh, uh, will, will uh, create a major instability. Finally, it was Jordan, uh, but maybe I will leave that for later. So I'll just jump in. I think uh, you mentioned the, 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 the walk back of the U.S. support um, for immediately going to annexation. And I see a, a, a number of questions asking about the process of annexation and what comes next, and specifically the latest gambit uh, that, that has happened uh, this time by Benny Gantz, suggesting that the entire, uh, the entire proposal be, uh, be sent to the Knesset for a vote. I want Shira to weigh in uh, uh, specifically on what you anticipate being the immediate uh, next steps in Israel uh, as part of this, um, you know, this, the, the, the second story of this whole plan, which is the political gamesmanship between Netanyahu and Gantz. Um, sure, but maybe just that I just want to um, continue Nimrod's uh, point about security, because uh, assessment speaking with some uh, uh, uniformed today in Israel is that, you know, plan would be secret. They um, probably, there's a reason to believe they have not seen it until the last few days and they were surprised. And if you know something about the Israeli security establishment, it takes them a few days to, or a few months to digest the information. We saw the deployment uh, around the Jordan Valley. Um, there is real uh, fear of uh, the Palestinians. Um, uh, maybe undermining the security cooperation, not canceling it uh, completely, but it's not clear what Palestinians would do. Um, both Michael and Nimrod mentioned the, the, the envisioned uh, Jewish-Israeli uh, enclaves deep in the heart of Palestinian land. What was not mentioned, however, is um, the envisions this um, non-contiguous area would be Palestinians along the border with uh, Egypt. Um, if you look at the map and this contradicts any, everything we know about Israeli security paradigm because along the borders, Israel wants a buffer zone. So this is another element that is just completely unclear how um, this plan and this map is, as it looks now, sits with Israel's security um, considerations as we've known them. And I, I, even if this plan dis, uh, represents a departure from, from the international consensus, I don't think um, on, the, on the security issue, Israel wants a departure from the consensus. So this is just, just uh, to add what, to what uh, Nimrod say, uh, said. I think um, we also, we, we can go back to about the plan itself. And I, I, I found it to be um, interesting, uh, but also full of contradictions. If I just want to add one point about, um, about Jerusalem, which I think is also important. The plan speaks, and if you know, you read it and they use this careful language about Jerusalem, how important, and I'm quoting, they said, Israel has been a good custodian of Jerusalem. I, I don't know what, what it means, but I assume it, it refers to the holy places. And then they say, um, we will um, that everyone could pray on Temple Mount for Amal Sharif. And, but the status which Netanyahu reaffirmed in 2015 is that Jews and non-Muslims cannot pray there. So it's, it's just very, um, it's, it's, it's really a mystery to me how, you know, saying some things then totally contradicting them um, in, in other parts. Um, so these things I think are important to notice and before, um, in Israel, the response is that this is a, a celebration, it's a big victory for, for Israel. Um, yesterday um, on the news, uh, this journalist said that it's not fair that on such an important day, um, uh, the legal process against Netanyahu, the indictment has started, even though Netanyahu is the one who set 
you know, he pulled his immunity uh, request yesterday, which activated the legal process. So he set the time on that. But, but this is the response here. I just read like you that Benny Gant just said in the conference that he will bring um, into the Knesset already next week for a decision. And the attorney general said that pending uh, the Knesset um, decision, he's inclined to approve um, um, extending Israeli sovereignty even before the elections. Uh, yesterday, the closed uh, meeting, but I think I, I, I think it, it, the details got out, so we can talk about it. But the AG spoke about uh, what would uh, make him approve it, um, uh, such a government decision, um, and he basically said that the test would be really proving that it's urgent, urgent to do it before um, there's a new government. Um, and this is the case that uh, they're going to make that it to do it now um, because who knows going to come messages from, from, from um, the White House uh, but it looks like uh, of all political across the political spectrum um, the two big parties are being dragged so I, I want to bring one is leading and one is leading yeah sure I want to bring Nimrod back to just maybe unpack that question which is what is Gantz's strategy? Gantz uh, a few weeks ago said that the uh, release of the plan would be blatant interference in the election, then quickly turned around, uh, embraced the plan, and is now putting it to Knesset. The question is why? What's the strategy here? Uh, we're watching uh, election strategy, not, uh, not a peace process or regional strategy. Um, um, the initial reaction uh, was uh, under the assumption that it can be prevented. Uh, once it was clear that it's not going to be, and that uh, the administration is determined to move forward, uh, the cockpit, the quartet that runs blue-white, uh, changed tone immediately, uh, started to welcome it, not just welcoming it, but also sending messages uh, that demonstrate to President Trump that uh, Gantz will be no less of a partner than Netanyahu, and therefore, he doesn't have to embarrass him when he comes to Washington or, or thereafter. Um, I think that this was uh, the move to the Knesset was a preemptive strike to an attempt uh, to bring just annexation uh, to the table. Uh, because when you vote for the entire package, it involves a lot of stuff. But most relevant to our discussion is the uh, uh, territorial swap. Uh, I, I wasn't able to hear Shira too well because of a technical problem. So I don't know if she touched it. If so, then stop me. But if not, there's a big difference. There's no symmetry uh, between the process required for annexation and the process required for giving up sovereignty on Israeli territory. Uh, the latter requires a Knesset majority of two-thirds, 80 Knesset members, or a referendum. Since the plan involved, the, the former uh, uh, requires only a cabinet decision, uh, those who want to insist further, say, or a simple majority uh, in the Knesset. Um, um, given the fact that the package involves swap, that is giving up Israeli sovereign territory, uh, that uh, will get stuck in all kinds of deliberations in the Knesset. Uh, and I think that uh, what, what the Gantz and company uh, were trying to do is get the whole thing entangled in Knesset's deliberations uh, so that uh, nothing comes up uh, anytime soon. Thank you. And I, I um, sure, I think your connection has been a little in and out, but I, I'm going to welcome you to, to chime in and Michael on this next question as well, which is I'm getting a lot of questions from the audience and particularly about the role of the Arab states in helping to craft this plan. In the last few days, we saw a number of positive, well, I wouldn't say positive, but not negative statements coming from the UAE, from Saudi Arabia, from, from Egypt. Um, in fact, I'd say all but Jordan have really come out uh, with, let's say, statements that were, not in, were intended to not offend Donald Trump, but, but certainly were not adamantly opposed uh, 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 to the plan. Um, number one, what do you make of this? Uh, and, and number two, what do you really expect on the Palestinian side? We saw that Mahmoud Abbas had a rather unprecedented meeting yesterday that brought together, uh, created unity, <laughs> this moment created unity, bringing together Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hamas at the same table and rejecting the plan. What do we expect on the Palestinian side? Is this going to be met with a shrug um, or is it going to be met 
um, uh, with outcomes, uh, uh, with dangerous outcomes of violence. So just starting on the, on the Arab countries, I think um, uh, we've seen it before with decisions on um, the embassy in Jerusalem and um, I, I, I didn't see the, the there was no um, strong criticism uh, but if you look at the text and what they commanded, sort of politely, the effort, but not the content, not the framework. Um, and the reason is, you know, all these countries, they need, uh, they have their interests vis-a-vis -vis the United States. They're cutting bilateral deals. And honestly, I mean, if I were uh, in the place of these Arab countries that are dealing with issues that are far more important for them, uh, internally than the Palestinian issue at this moment, I wouldn't test if uh, President Trump holds grudges. So going against, um, going against uh, the, the plan um, uh, 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 publicly uh, is very complicated. Um, people have, have ex maybe expected uh, less of a response, but, but I, I didn't find it surprising happened with the Palestinians. And you look at it, um, you hear the Palestinians talking, they're saying they don't want another intifada, they don't want a violent resistance, but they want a nonviolent resistance and a serious one. They, you, you hear the ideas on the Palestinian street, let's uh, block a major road in the settlements, you know, in the West Bank, blocking roads to the settlements, we'll just sit there. Have uh, you seen protests today? Um, there's been a talk for a long time, threats about the security cooperation, which is uh, a pillar of Israel's security. So this is something that, you know, I'm sure uh, neither Israel uh, nor the United States want uh, to stop. But there's also the economic decoupling, completely decoupling the Palestinian um, 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 uh, market from, from, from the Israeli economy. Um, can they do it for a long time? Is this a sustainable uh, strategy for the long term. Not to be pain um, and, and, and dangerous. And, um, uh, and, and there's another thing that I just heard someone uh, speaking about today, a fatal person said, maybe the silver line is that will bring uh, Palestinian unity. So you hear talks between Fatah and Hamas, the PA, that it's time to work together. Um, and a lot depends on what the Palestinians uh, so, in terms of where this goes forward. I'm not sure if Michael uh, agrees. About yeah, Michael, and I, I wanted to get your take on the possible reaction for the Arab world, but Michael, I wonder if you could just respond to a scenario, which is what the, the picture that the Trump administration has painted, which is this, this plan reflects the realities on the ground, that the Israeli political establishment, the Israeli political um, discourse today is not going to allow for the uprooting uh, of settlements, that the settlements are here to stay, that the Palestinians are in uh, really have are in no position to say no. The Arab states are not likely to to cause much of a fuss at this moment. The Europeans have other issues. The Iran uh, alliance between Israel and the Arab states is proving that Israel and the Arab states are moving to greater relations with or without the Palestinians. Um, and that ultimately the Palestinians um, should accept what, what, what they can before it's too late. Uh, Jared Kushner yesterday on Christian Amanpour um, was reporting that, you know, uh, this is maybe their last chance. Um, I wonder if you could respond to, to, to this sort of uh, uh, a framework, which is, um, you know, dare I say, it has some logic to it, right? That, that um, you know, ultimately uh, here is the, the powerful, uh, entity uh, recognizing um, a, a moment, uh, a, a, a joint um, alignment uh, uh, of various strategic interests that are enabling them to advance a plan that is highly advantageous to Israel. What's wrong with that scenario? I think all of that can be true, and I, uh, I think that there absolutely is a logic to that. I think that's certainly the logic that has underpinned the Trump administration approach to this. The problem with that is that even if all of that is true, um, and even if the logic behind that argument is sound, it still requires at the end of the day, the Palestinians to in some way, shape or form, arrive at that same conclusion, accept that same logic and agree to, to operate within the confines of that logic and um, agree to live in a world where that logic leads to a plan like, like we saw the Trump 
administration release. Now, um, is it possible that the Palestinians will throw up their hands, say, you know, you're right, um, we've been beaten, we give up, um, give, us, give us whatever it is you want to give us? Sure, it's possible. I think the far likelier scenario based on uh, polling of Palestinians, based on um, hundreds of conversations I've had with Palestinians over, uh, over the last half decade, is that instead of that response, the response will be, great, you want to, you want to destroy any possibility of a viable Palestinian entity, um, we're on board, thank you very much, please now consider us to be citizens of Israel. Um, that's how you very quickly get from this to a one-state outcome. And a one-state outcome will not be good for Israel um, in any way, shape, or form. So if the end result of the notion behind um, you know, the, 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 Israel, the Israel victory strategy, right, that, um, that you, you keep this up until the Palestinians the Palestinian say, um, you win, we lose, we give up. Um, if that's the strategy, what is likelier to be at the end of that rope um, is a single state. And um, as we know, there are very few Israelis, even the, the farthest right Israelis, who actually want that because they understand the consequences. Naftali Bennett, who is the leading proponent of annexation, um, doesn't want the whole West Bank, and that's for a reason. And um, that, that very well may be the end result of this. So um, the, logic, the logic is sound. I understand where the Trump administration uh, gets it from, but I think that there, the giant faulty assumption built in is that at the end of it, the Palestinians will accept this entity as opposed to dropping a national struggle and turning it into a civil rights struggle. Um, and that very well may be where this goes. And Michael, does this have legs? Is this going to be with, I mean, you wrote uh, a piece in the forward, um, an op-ed yesterday, which I encourage everyone uh, to read. Uh, it was titled, I believe, Donald the Destroyer, um, identifying just how uh, this plan uh, as 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 an, as much of a non-starter as it as it is, will actually be with us for for potentially with us for years to come. Could you explain that a bit? Yeah. So, listen, we m many of us many of us have have for years taken the Clinton parameters, which were not acted upon, um, but but remained with us for years. Um, many of us took that as the the vision of how the conflict would end. Right. There's 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 no alternative to, to sort of this basic framework. Um, whatever happens with the Trump plan, I think he has, for many audiences, reset the basic framework to something more along the lines of, of what he has laid out. Now, even if it never gets accepted or acted upon, it's gonna be very difficult for Israelis to, to walk, walk back some of the things in here. Um, it's gonna be very difficult for Israelis to, the same way the Palestinians, you know, for a long time have pointed to the basic framework of uh, 1967 borders with equivalent land swaps, um, shared capital in Jerusalem, uh, just solution for refugees. The same way the Palestinians have for decades stuck to that um, because that was in a lot of ways a consensus that was pushed by the United States. It's gonna be very hard for Israelis now to not push the Trump framework as the consensus among Israelis. Um, so this is this is going to have this is going to have staying power. Now, I think it's also important for people like us to recognize that um, realities on the ground dictate things, right? And um, it very well may have been unrealistic from the beginning to assume that something like the Clinton parameters would be the end of conflict. Um, I think you know, it's incumbent for people like us to look at our assumptions and, and say, this is, this is the only way it can be. Um, but in the context of doing that, there still has to be a solution that is viable and workable and minimally acceptable um, to both sides. Now, there is no solution at the moment that meets that, right? This is one of the reasons why negotiations have always failed. Um, but 
what the president floated yesterday certainly doesn't meet that standard either. Um, and so I think we need to figure out a way to, uh, to get to that point where there is something that both sides can accept. And um, as anyone familiar with Israel Policy Forum knows, there's a reason that, that we have now for a long time said we don't think negotiations between the two sides uh, is a smart idea in this environment. Um, we need to come up, we need, we need to get both sides to do things that will improve the environment so that one day we can have a negotiation um, that has a chance of working. But you know, what, what we saw from the administration yesterday is, is not that. Um, could you speak a little bit about the reaction in Washington? We saw a number of Democrats, including the uh, many Democratic presidential candidates, come out uh, uh, critical uh, of um, uh, critical uh, of the plan. Um, could you speak a little bit about what we should anticipate? Um, and I'll, I'll also, not, not just from Democrats, but in terms of the future of the U.S. role. I know that we were in uh, the West Bank just last week, meeting Palestinian officials, and uh, 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 we heard, just as Abbas, uh, I think, said to the reporters yesterday, that Palestinians at this point are ruling out a return to a U.S.-led peace process in the future, whether it's led by Donald Trump or not. Um, I'm curious your reaction from Democrats, and is this signaling that uh, the end of the U.S. dominated uh, 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 U.S. Uh, efforts to, to be the lead mediator of the conflict? I think the U.S. is going to be the lead mediator of the conflict, irrespective of, of what the, the Palestinians uh, are saying at the moment. There is no other party that has the um, capability, wherewithal, uh, and desire um, to be the primary mediator of this conflict uh, that is not the United States. Um, you know, even even during the uh, George W. Bush era, when the quartet took more, pro you know, took more prominence uh, than, than certainly it has now, um, the United States was still the, the, the main driver of that. So um, I, I think the U.S. is, is going to be the, the primary mediator of this conflict going forward. Um, as for the reaction in Washington, and particularly among Democrats, um, as you noted, uh, there was a, a letter sent yesterday from uh, a group of senators uh, opposing the plan. Um, what was interesting was that uh, the signatories included uh, Elizabeth Warren, who you know, was one of the leading progressives running for president. It also included Andy Klobuchar, um, who uh, until, uh, you know, who has been considered uh, on Israel issues uh, to probably be the um, most conservative of the Democrats who are running for president. Um, so that should give you a good sense of where presidential candidates are on this. Um, and um, you know, Democrats have, have, have ranged, right? Some have come out um, saying they are opposed to the plan and everything in it. Um, some have reiterated that um, their basic principles remain, that there has to be a bilateral negotiation between Israelis and Palestinians, and um, that it has, to, uh, it has to end in a two-state outcome, and that it has to avoid unilateral annexation. Now, even the ones who have stuck to that formula um, and have been uh, have not come out and simply, you know, blasted the plan uh, just to blast it, um, they will come out really, really heavy uh, if the next step of this is that Israel moves to annex the parts of the map that are that are envisioned as part of Israel in a deal. And it's notable that. Um, Politico this afternoon got their hands, and it's up on their website, got their hands on a copy of the talking points that the State Department has been disseminating to diplomats around the world uh, for how to talk about this. And um, in, in, the last section, in the last section of it, which is, which is titled Next Steps, um, it, it says that, uh, it says that um, Israel has agreed to um, comport its policies to the Trump plan for at least four years including freezing all settlement activity in the West Bank and areas that this vision designates for the future state of Palestine, which, you know, to translate that into, um, into, into English, what that means is that Israel agrees to free settlement construction in areas where at the moment there are no settlements. Um, you know, it's the equivalent of me pledging to, um, to freeze any additions on my home uh, to areas that include David's backyard. Um, and the next, the next part of this document says 
In return, the United States has committed to recognizing any Israeli actions to extend Israeli sovereignty into areas of the West Bank that the vision foresees as being part of Israel in a two-state solution. <laughs> Excuse me. And so what that means is that uh, today the State Department is telling its diplomats that um, in its view, Israel now has a green light to extend sovereignty to any areas on, on that map um, that the Trump administration released that will be part of Israel uh, in uh, this plan gets carried out. Um, so if the Israelis act on that, um, I don't think that there will be even one Democrat in Congress who um, stands up and, and applauds it. Uh, I think there will be criticism from every single one of them, including uh, the most conservative ones. Um, and it will take the conversation that has already started among Democratic presidential candidates about conditioning aid to Israel and blow it up to the number one issue related to Israel in the campaign. Um, that's yeah. what will happen. So hopefully, um, hopefully the Israelis understand this and have the sense to, um, you know, in, embrace the Trump plan because I understand, you know, the politics of it in Israel. It makes sense that uh, Likud and Kaholavan would would both embrace it, but um, hopefully have the good sense to understand that embracing it means embracing it as uh, the basis for negotiation with the Palestinians, not embracing it as the basis for taking the things they like and acting upon them right away. Right. So uh, Nimrod, I have a question about whether the Palestinians should actually try to engage on the plan and specifically what's a number of questions still about the role of the Arab states going forward um, and whether they can be helpful uh, in making the, in shaping this plan to be more viable um, uh, in any way, shape, or form. Can you comment a bit uh, both on the on on how Palestinians might engage in this, the role of the Arab states, and I'll add one other thing that that there's a number of questions just on the process of annexation. Um, what's required for annexation to take place? Uh, is it a full cabinet vote? And if it's a full cabinet vote. Uh, wh where does where is blue white going to stand? Two different questions there. Yeah, uh, let, let me start with the, with the, with, the, with the last one, uh, and that is what does it take for annexation in terms of the form, formal procedure? Um, all it takes is a cabinet decision and instructions to the IDF general, who is commander of our central command who by international law uh, is, a, uh, is the king of the territories. Um, and he applies the law, you know, the language is applying the, the law procedure regulation, I don't remember exactly the terminology, uh, of the state of Israel to these areas. Um, so if the prime minister wants uh, to do annexation swiftly, he brings it to the cabinet. If the prime minister does not want to do it swiftly, He's behaving very democratically, brings it to the Knesset, and makes sure that it gets uh, entangled with all kinds of issues. There is uh, one more issue, and that is, I think Shira referred to it, so I'll just quickly. Um, transition government, which is what we have now, uh, um, uh, is prohibited by law uh, from taking action on, uh, on very serious matters, uh, unless they can demonstrate uh, uh, specific urgency, uh, sort of emergency situation. Um, the Prime Minister, when he first thought of going for the Cabinet decision, um, was trying to set the ground for the uh, urgency argument by suggesting uh, we have Trump, we got to do it fast. Uh, but given that Trump is not uh, resigning on the day that we have elections, March 2nd, uh, the urgency uh, doesn't really hold water. And the Attorney General will have to be uh, to offer an opinion on that. Uh, and if his opinion is that it can go ahead, uh, we could all expect a barrage of uh, appeals to the Supreme Court, uh, and it will get entangled in Supreme Court uh, deliberations that the government, uh, as a transition government, uh, caretaker, uh, cannot do something of such historic proportions uh, absent any security or other 
uh, emergency rationale. Uh, as to the regionals, uh, what we saw from uh, uh, the Arab Quartet, uh, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Egypt, and Jordan, uh, uh, was an attempt uh, uh, to, pre to, to uh, minimize damage before when there was still a possibility uh, that the plan will not be presented, uh, they made a decision and conveyed it to Washington uh, that they uh, will uh, not make uh, independent uh, uh, responses, uh, but rather uh, bring it up to the Arab League, and the Arab League will not take a position that is contrary to the Palestinian position, which meant for the administration that the Arab uh, position would be uniformly against the plan. And once that became uh, not the case and the administration decided to go ahead, uh, we saw the, uh, the Arabs adopt a very different approach, uh, more traditional. Basically, we don't fight with Trump over such issues. Uh, and uh, the language of all, uh, all three except Jordan was basically, um, it's a good start, it's a good plan, should be discussed, uh, we don't impose upon the Palestinians. Jordan was the only one that went crazy, uh, basically arguing that this uh, may lead uh, to Israeli steps that will force Jordan uh, to reconsider its peaceful relations with Israel. Which brings me to a point I wanted to, to mention earlier, that the security establishment, both inside uniform and, uh, and retirees, uh, are very much uh, making the point. And, you know, in the past, people were very careful not to expose the depths of strategic coordination between Jordan and Israel. This is no longer the case. There is a, a sense of emergency uh, that if our government and the Knesset members and the general public will not realize uh, the damage to Israeli security from undermining uh, the relations with Jordan, uh, uh, we, we, we are gonna pay very, very heavy price. And by now, uh, security experts, official, uh, uh, former officials and so on, very openly that Israel's security border is not on the Jordan River. It is on the border between Jordan and Iraq. And that uh, Israel has uh, available to it a means uh, to detect and to preempt uh, any hostile movement uh, from uh, the direction of Iran uh, and Iraq much better, with much, much greater uh, early warning as a result of the strategic relationship with Jordan. People are talking about it uh, openly. Um, the last thing that, uh, in case I forgot something, you'll remind me. The last thing I wanted to mention, uh, and I think it was touched upon, but uh, I'd like to expand a little bit, and that is the defense establishment assessment of the Palestinian reaction. Here, uh, the ones most uh, 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 outspoken uh, is the Shin Bet. Uh, and the Shin Bet has been uh, warning that uh, one should not uh, mistake the reaction to the plan uh, for characterizing the reaction to annexation. Uh, the plan may trigger some demonstrations. The plan is not likely, in their judgment, to trigger a third intifada. The, the reaction to the plan would be more like the reaction to the Jerusalem story, but annexation, especially of the Jordan Valley, uh, in their judgment, will be a tipping point uh, that will bring the fragility of the PA and the unpopularity of the security coordination uh, to a test that they may not survive. Thank you. We are already over time. I want to thank so many people who have been sending in questions. Michael, I'm going to give you a sort of rapid fire um, of a number of the questions that I've, I've received and ask you to be very, very brief in just addressing them as we go to close, because I know we are now already over time, but we literally have uh, <laughs> two dozen questions. It's impossible for, for us to get to get to them all. I would say that one uh, basket of questions is about the U.S. role uh, going forward. Um, is there anything the U.S. can do um, uh, to reset uh, the, the situation? What is the role? What, what should we be asking of policymakers and Jewish community leaders today to do? There's another basket of questions that's asking specifically about the Israeli Arab citizens 
and where this leaves them, particularly in, in the proposal um, uh, uh, that's been put forward uh, uh, by the Trump administration. Um, and I would just say there's another uh, basket of questions that's about some of the economic benefits. And is there any way to utilize some of the um, potential strengths that are put forward in terms of the Trump economic proposals, even if the political issues appear to be a non-starter? All right, I'll, uh, I'll, David I'll take them. Michael, David Michael, if I may, one, one liner on Israeli Arabs. Um, if there is something that may drive them uh, to vote in the next elections in huge numbers, it is uh, the uh, uh, Netanyahu endorsement of uh, the swap territory that deprives Israeli uh, Palestinian uh, Arabs of, uh, of their Israeli uh, uh, citizenship. Yeah, so, I, so quickly, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, the plan, literally in, in the map that the, that the plan puts out, it envisions the Arab Triangle as now part of the state of Palestine. Um, and uh, I think unilaterally redrawing the borders of Israel to actually cut out Israeli citizens uh, and now make them citizens of another state is, is obviously um, deeply, deeply problematic. Um, on the question of economic benefits, you know, we saw the Trump administration release the economic part of this plan uh, last summer, and um, none of it was acted upon because it's almost impossible to, to actually carry out any of those ideas, many of which, by the way, are great ideas, without the, a, a political solution, without resolving the politics of it first. So, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, if, when this gets presented as one giant package that has to be all acted upon in concert, um, if the political part doesn't work, then the economic part won't work either. Um, you know, I, I think that if you want the economic part to work, then you've got to take those proposals separately and try to implement them um, you know, as, a, as confidence building measures or as ways to improve the situation on the ground. A lot of the things that we talk about ourselves in terms of um, improving the environment to get to, to get to a spot where negotiations could work. Um, and then on the US role. So the United States is driving, is driving this in one direction or another. Um, if the United States says to the Israelis, from our perspective, go ahead and, and, and add, go, you know, annex the Jordan Valley, apply sovereignty to uh, every single Israeli settlement, uh, essentially take somewhere uh, between 30 and 40% of, of the West Bank um, right away, then Israel is gonna feel that they can do it. If the United States says um, you can't, then Israel is going to feel that it can't. So, the U.S. role here actually is enormous, and if you are concerned about annexation, and as I said, unless you want to see a single state, um, you should be concerned about annexation, um, then the thing to do is to get in touch with your member of Congress and um, not, make, not even make your view clear, but urge them to speak to their Israeli counterparts. Um, it doesn't have to be a public statement. It would be great if uh, every single member of Congress who feels strongly about annexation would call the Prime Minister and, and call Benny Gantz and make it clear that uh, they don't agree with this. Um, talk to your, whatever American Jewish organization you feel strongly about and, and that you are part of. Um, make it clear to the leadership of those organizations that uh, it's important for them to communicate to their Israeli counterparts and friends and that this is something that will cause a problem in the United States and that will cause divisions in the American Jewish community and it will cause divisions between Republicans and Democrats and turn Israel into even more of a partisan issue. It's really important that over the next few days, Israeli leaders, both in the government and outside the government, no matter the party, hear directly from influential American leaders, political leaders, American Jewish leaders, that this is a bad idea because really that's the single biggest thing that we can do on the US side to try and um, have the Israeli government put the brake on this. Thank you, Michael, for that uh, important note. Um, I hope uh, uh, everyone will continue to turn to Israel Policy Forum in the important days uh, and weeks ahead as we see where all of this will unfold. Um, we certainly will uh, be at the forefront of helping to navigate uh, this very tumultuous moment and appreciate your continued uh, participation and support in the activities that, that lie uh, ahead. Thank you, Michael, Nimrod, and Shira. I know she had to leave us for technical issues, 
Uh, but thank you all for joining us this afternoon. We will be in touch shortly uh, with information on our talking points and analysis uh, of the Trump plan uh, in the days ahead. Thank you all once again and have a, have a good day.